0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: If you're going to serve your flesh and if you're going to serve the world, then go. Serve the flesh and serve the world. If it seems evil in your sight to serve God, then make that determination. God has no fence sitters. We need to be sold out to him. That's why Jesus was so adamant. He says, "You know what? If if you if you take up the plow and you keep looking back, you're not worthy of my kingdom."
0: As believers, it's easy to get complacent and comfortable in our walk with God. Sometimes we even get so comfortable that we're no longer growing or maturing in our relationship with Christ. God wants us to keep pressing forward for Jesus. If we look back at our life, we will see just how much Jesus has done and sacrificed for us. He gave His all so that all would believe in Him and would have eternal life. As His followers, it will also take our all to live for Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, with the conclusion of our message entitled, An Amazing Grace.
1: Beloved, there's no other choices. And, and some people say, well, no, I'm, I'm not serving Satan. I'm just doing what I want to do. There is a hook in your jaw that's been placed there by Satan and he's dragging you around. You might say, well, that's what I want to do. No, that's what Satan is drawing you to do. The Word is very clear about that. There's not a spiritual or a moral vacuum in all of creation. It's either the things of Christ or is the set things of the enemy, of Satan himself. As believers, God continues to call us. Even after we become Christians, after we've received Christ, and we know redemption in our lives, God continues to call us. He challenges us in our lives to walk in obedience, knowing who we serve. And we need to be found walking according to the call of Christ. Honoring the kingdom of God in our life in every aspect. In the Old Testament, as the children of Israel had left Egypt, and they did their wandering in the desert for the 40 years, and then they finally started moving into the promised land, and they fought so many battles as they came in to claim the territory within the promised land, and Joshua leading them. Now at the end of Joshua's life, as they've come into that promised land, Joshua understands who these people are. He's dealt with them for so many years. And so at the end of Joshua's life, he challenges them in Joshua twenty four fifteen, And he says, Now if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Rather it be the gods which our fathers served, which are on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In essence, what Joshua was saying was if you bring it into the context of today, church, you need to decide who you're going to serve. If you're going to serve your flesh and if you're going to serve the world, then go. Serve the flesh and serve the world. If it seems evil in your sight to serve God, then make that determination. God has no fence sitters. We need to be sold out to Him. That's why Jesus was so adamant. He says, you know what, if you you take up the plow and you keep looking back, you're not worthy of my kingdom. There needs to be a determination in our hearts that I will follow Christ. Well, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, because we do. I believe as long as this carcass that we carry around is here, we're going we're gonna to stumble. But, beloved, where is the intent and where is the direction, where is the purpose, where is the love, where is the hope of your heart? Years later, Prophet Elijah, desiring to see the people of Israel come back to God and to the worship of the one true God, Jehovah, Remember he went to do battle with the 450 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel and he called all the people of Israel to him there. And the people for the most part, they weren't sure what they were going to do. They had been worshipping Baal and these pagan and these foreign gods for so long and now Elijah comes and he's going to draw the line in the sand in essence. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah calls the people to himself there on Mount Carmel. And he asks them, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. But if Baal, well then follow Him. It's interesting. There was no great revival that that broke out right there. As a matter of fact, the response is that the people answered him, not a word. Not a word. Because you see, the contest between him and the 450 prophets of Baal hadn't begun yet. I believe that the people were really... They they were kind of wondering, well, who's going to win this battle? I wonder, man, if Baal wins this battle, we, we might want to be on his side. If God is going to win this battle, then we might want to be on this side. But they were not willing to make a determination until that time. Well, after... By the Spirit of God, the prophets of Baal were defeated. Oh, then the people, then the people rose up. We can live our lives for so long wondering, is it really worth serving the Lord? Or should I still hold on to the things of the world? And beloved, at that point, our life, our faith, our influence becomes useless. It's atrophied because we're not exercising it in a solid and committed walk with Jesus Christ. God calls you and I today, remembering where we come from, but determined that because of Christ in me, I desire to move forward. Let's get back into Ephesians. In verse 3, Paul speaks about the fact, among whom also We all once conducted ourselves. Let me back up to, again, what is he speaking about? Well, in verse 2 is when he says, We we walked according to the course of the world. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. Now in verse 3 he says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, there is a slight change here that we can easily miss, but beginning in verse 3, Paul becomes even more inclusive. Paul suddenly has now changed the you of verse 1 and 2 to the we of verse 3 and the following verses. Paul brings himself in, and he owns up to the fact that he was there. He was among those sons of disobedience. He was among those who conducted themselves in in the lust of their flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and was by nature, he was a child of wrath, just as the others. This whole idea of sons of disobedience and children of wrath, you need to understand, man, that, that's not a title you really want to get in your life. That's nothing you want to say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm part of the sons of disobedience. I'm part of the daughters of wrath. No, that, that's not a good thing, but yet the fact is, is outside of Christ, everyone is. And before you came to Christ, yes, you were. Now, you may have come to Christ as a very young person, and I know that people can come to Christ at a very, very early age, particularly if Christ is lived out in their homes, and the truth and the hope of the gospel and the Word of God is well known within the homes. I understand that, and I know that. And you may not have in your life a great history of, again, the wickedness of so many, and you are blessed because of that. Because you don't carry around in your life all the scars and the luggage and the consequences of life that was outside of Christ. What a great and glorious thing it is for young people, particularly young children, to come to Christ so that they're not dealing with these things. But the problem is, you and I, before we came to Christ in the overall scheme of things, we were just like all others. We've heard of a great tragedy when James Holmes walked into that movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and just blatantly opened fired on absolutely innocent people. The wickedness of that man's heart was led because he was dead in his trespasses and sins. And Beloved, outside of Christ, that's where every man and every woman is. Are some more wicked than others? Oh, yes. Just as some are, are better than others and they, they do good things. But the fact is, it's that same spirit led by that spirit of that prince of the air. Ours outside of Christ was a hopeless situation. Looming before us as we are outside of Christ. Is this Christless eternity. The Bible speaks of it as the reality of hell. The reality of the suffering that goes on, yes, eternal. If you don't agree with that, don't come up to me and argue the point. Take it up with the, with the author, okay? Because the Word declares it over and over again. We had absolutely no way of avoiding that eternity on our own merits. We were on a downhill run and the brakes were out and the bridge at the bottom had been removed and we have no way possible of being able to bail out from this vehicle. We are going to utter destruction outside of Christ. We were spiritually dead, already guilty because of our trespasses and sins. We were controlled by a dead spirit that led us. We were following the course of this world's way led by the same spiritual darkness that's now at work in the lives of the sons of disobedience and that leads them further and further into disobedience and destruction. Our appetites hungered to be filled with the lusts of the flesh and we desired what was pleasing to our flesh, craving to be filled and fulfilled with the wickedness of our minds." By our lives and by the choices that we made, we demonstrated time and time and time again that we were children of wrath. What a wretched condition we were in. Beloved, all of mankind outside of Christ suffers from the same disease, and it's fatal. If we had the opportunity when we were in that condition, to be able to remove ourselves and look back at ourselves. If we could, some way or fashion, we could have our eyes open to see through the filth and through the through the darkness that, that our lives were, we would have been horrified to see, to be able to understand that in the logic of all things, we were irredeemable. We were without value of any sort of any way because of our sin outside of Christ we are truly vile we are shameful and we are justly condemned each of us deserving the wrath of almighty God and in the logic of humanity there's, there's, there's no grace amazing enough to be able to change our wretchedness the logic and the understanding of man there'd be no mercy that's that's wide enough to cover the greatness of our need there'd be not enough riches available to be able to purchase our ransom and beloved if that were the end of the story if that if that was it if that's all there was we might as well go back and continue to dance to the devil's tune we might as well continue to march on to his orders, if that's all there was. But you know what? Paul doesn't stop there. But God. But God. In the midst of the deplorable condition of mankind, the hopelessness of every soul led by the spirit, spirit of Satan himself. Absolutely no hope but God. It's essential for us to be able to understand in our lives verses 1, 2, and 3 in order that the gloriousness of verse 4 will just literally blow us away. That when we read and understand the greatness of those two words, that we can celebrate the reality of the greatness of His love for us. Verse 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were vile and shameless, even when we were among the sons of disobedience, even when we were children of wrath, as he says here, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And beloved, that is the gospel message that's the plain simplicity of it and beloved that gets about as simple as it can be the fact is, is we were all in that shape we were all in that situation but god none of us can say oh god got a prize when he got me none of us could say sometimes okay my mind thinks that but i know better all of us were in such desperate need but god Paul understood this as much, if not more, than any other human alive. That's why in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, he reminds Timothy that this is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul's not using just some editorial liberty here to be able to say, oh yeah, 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 and I'm the chief sinner, yeah. No, I believe that Paul understood and knew the wickedness of his own heart. Paul understood his past life outside of Christ. And that's why he writes to Timothy these glorious words. Christ came into the world to save sinners, even me. Many of you know the story of John Newton, a man who lived in the late 1700s. If you, do, if you don't know, if you've never heard of him, let me encourage you to, to, to find a biography. You can go online read a lot about him. It's a biography of a man with a wretched, wretched past and yet a glorious future. He became a man of great faith. In his earlier years, he he was an absolutely worldly man. He wasn't caring about anyone or anything other than his own good pleasure, his fleshly self and desiring to just fill it and feed it as much as he possibly could. He ended up becoming a a hard-drinking captain of slave ships, running slaves from Africa to Europe. But later he surrendered his life to Christ. He got saved and he became actually a minister of the gospel in the Anglican church there in England. At the age of 53, thinking back over his earlier years and just the the deplorable condition of his life before that, he wrote some words, and this is one thing that we know about John Newton, is he never forgot his past. In the glory of the reality of his present in Christ, he never forgot the greatness of the love of Christ that brought him out of that past. In his 53, he wrote these words, "...how industrious is Satan served! I was formerly one of his active under-tempters, and had my influence been equal to my wishes... I would have carried all the human race with me, doing evil and taking a joy to bring others in. He said, I was a common drunkard and a wicked man. But the common drunkard of today, the wicked man of today, he said, are simply petty sinners to what I was. A year later, he also published... The most famous and the most recognizable hymn we ever known. The hymn Amazing Grace. It's interesting, he lived to be 82 years of age. He continued on preaching and active in ministry until the last couple of years of his life when, when his health just kept him from the pulpit. But yet his conversation with his friends, those who knew him, never ceased. To declare the greatness of God's grace. And in his later years, he told his friends, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Beloved, more than anything this morning, I want you to realize the greatness of salvation, the greatness of the grace that God offers for all mankind. Can He save someone like a James Holmes It's wicked, it's vile, a murderer has taken so many lives? Is he beyond the reach of the blood of Christ? Is the blood of Christ insufficient to, to be able to reach to the worst of the worst? It's not insufficient, no. I have full assurance in the greatness of who my God is and the greatness of the power of the blood of Christ that if there was ever true repentance that come upon a man like that, that God would in no wise cast him out. The words of the hymn, Amazing Grace, we're so familiar with. I don't want us to sing it this morning. I, I, I want you to listen to the words, if you would. The words of this hymn speak of a man who is grateful for the vastness of the grace that took him from where he was to where he's going. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. Twas was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares that I've already come, tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and my portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. So what's your song of praise, church? What is your song of praise of the greatness of what God has done for you and on your behalf, personally, in your life? When was the last time that you took time to meditate simply on the fullness of His forgiveness in your life? Oh, we can meditate on the greatness of who God is. I understand that we need to do that on a regular basis. The Word says, cast all your cares before Him because He cares for you. Paul tells his man, don't worry about everything, but with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And I understand that we're to call and we're to ask. and we're to, But when was the last time you just stopped? Spent time before Him. Thanking Him for the greatness of grace. May we take that opportunity this week to again be reminded for such a worm as I, He paid the price.
0: We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, We want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although the Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to the website theopenword.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regular scheduled tax-deductible gift. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.